Hello everyone, I'm Dennis and this is She Valley, a show about Sheffield startups, the podcast dedicated to Sheffield startup ecosystem, its founders, startups and stakeholders involved. I'm happy to announce that the podcast's activity is going to grow beyond its digital borders. The third Chef startup meetup Sheffield is now coming in the end of September, September 21st at 6pm. The venue is to be announced, but most likely it will be Sheffield Technology Park still. There will be an update on Shiv Alice's Twitter page, so please subscribe to that one. But there will be other events to follow soon as well. As we know, last year there it was very difficult to do anything in the physical world. At the moment that's not the case, so I will use the time because I want to get a lot more people involved in the ecosystem. I want to get more students involved, I want to get more founders involved, I want to get more investors involved. So please subscribe to the page to get updated because there is a lot of things coming soon. But the first one, which is important, is the Sheffield Startup Meetup, September 21st, 6 p.m. Write it down in in your calendars and get your free ticket. The link will be in the show's notes. Now, on to the podcast. As you know, I changed the structure of the podcast after episode 20. At the beginning, I was only doing interviews with my guests. After that, I added global news and local news, where every week I will talk about something that has happened globally and something that has happened locally in the context of startups. I will keep doing that as I find it very valuable both for myself, but I also think that it's interesting for my listeners. And I will actually add on to that. As you all know, my mission with this podcast is to give another platform to Sheffield-based founders to increase the visibility of their startups and to increase the connectedness within the ecosystem overall. However, I'm adding another mission to Shiv Valley and it is to give as much value as possible to my listeners. Because in the end of the day, when you listen to a podcast, you want to take a lot out of it and that's what I will try to do on a weekly basis. So that's why apart from the interviews, the global news and the local news, I will also add a resource of the week and book of the week sections of my podcast where every week I will give you one online resource to use if you're a founder or a startup enthusiast, which I hope you find useful, and a book of the week. As you know, I already talk with my guests about books. Now I will add a book of the week as well which I will be happy to discuss uh, after the show, just to see what my listeners think who have read the book and so on and so forth. And if you want to support the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening. You can follow the official account on Twitter. And another way to support me is through a PayPal donation button that I've just set. The link will be in the description. As you know, I run this podcast independently and any support will be appreciated. Now on to the first resource of the week. I'm going to start with my favorite resource, coming from Techstars. Techstars is a company that creates accelerators and startup communities everywhere around the world, set in 2006 with the mission to inspire startup communities everywhere. Uh, It is one of the biggest companies to do it and it's one of the most important companies in the startup industry, if we can call it that way. Now, the resource that I will put the link, link for in the show's notes is called Startup Toolkit. It has 18 or 19 different sections, each of them is full of theory and practice and ordered chronologically so you know what to start with and make your way from there. It has so many different things to help you with your startup. It helps you define your brand, it helps you define your target market, it helps you define your category and many many more things. Go to the link and start learning, start filling those templates. It's, it really is a massive help and it's absolutely free. Moving on. With global news of the week, we're going to talk about European startups and American accelerators. Now, the pandemic was quite detrimental when it comes to physical borders. However, 
it was quite beneficial when we're talking about digital ones and that is proven by the fact that Y Combinator, the original startup accelerator created by Paul Graham back in 2006 and a father accelerators of startups like Airbnb and Reddit, has just admitted the biggest number of European startups in its cohort to date, over 17% of the 2021 batch. For example, the percentage was only 9 as soon as 2018, so this is a massive, massive development for European startups and is another proof that the European startup scene is having sort of a boom this year. In the first half of 2021, European startups have already raised three times more of the funds than in 2020. I think it's up, up to about 57 billion, which is an insane number and just proves that at the moment, if you're a startup in Europe, it's really good times for you. Now, just a quick overview of the few startups that grabbed my attention when I was checking through the cohort in 2021. First, first of them is Cafe. Cafe is a tool for the modern hybrid organization. It is a tool that helps you manage attendance in the office, knowing who comes in, who stays at home, when you can have that, that uh, meeting that you have been postponing with your team. This is a very modern problem because a hybrid workspace has only been adopted this year, maybe last year from, couple, from some companies, and Cafe solves it. So this for me is a prime example of an entrepreneurial thought followed by a nice and simple execution to give birth to a really nice business and product, which is going to be useful both in the short term, but I think in the long term, because I believe that the hybrid model of working is going to be adapted by more and more companies in years to come. Second very interesting company is called Genie. I'm not sure that's the right pronunciation, I hope so. It is a powerful AI that takes large articles, papers, or research and generates keywords, notes and highlights from it with utmost precision. This tool can be an absolute game changer for people whose career is in writing, as it would save tons of time for them reading. And it's already actually establishing itself in the writing industry and has been compared to something like Grammarly. The third tool is, and third company is actually the one that I found the most interesting. It's called Sigma OS. It's a browser, but most in more interestingly, it's a browser that's optimized for work. Now, we all use a browser and a lot of us now work with a browser. So if you spend seven plus hours a day working on your computer, you most likely have the problem of the myriad of tabs. You have so many tabs open your, on your computer that you sometimes just find yourself looking through them and trying to find the one that you need at this moment. It can get really chaotic and Sigma always is solving that problem. They have taken on the concept of a browser and transformed it for modern working use and they're doing that better than Chrome or Firefox, which are good browsers, but they're not optimized for working. Also, what's different is that Sigma OS doesn't monetize data. It is a subscription tool. I think at the moment it's about $10 per month. It's going to be interesting to see whether people will be actually willing to pay for a browser rather than use one for free. And the last startup that grabbed my attention, all of this, by the way, just to remind European startups, is called Carbon Fact. Carbon Fact helps you get your facts about the carbon that is emitted from the production of any product. It's an open data database formed by a community of carbon checkers who say that soon there won't be a product without carbon tag on the market. This startup kind of reminds me of what me and my colleagues were trying to create as part of the Startup Sheffield program earlier this summer when we created Citizen which was a browser extension helping you to find more sustainable uh, alternatives uh, from products that you were looking for at, uh, at Amazon. It's really interesting, it's way more detailed than that. I still don't see how a tool like this will be implemented on a mass scale, how it will be adopted by the mass consumer, but it is very important 
to go in that direction and they're doing it very early i think in the development of this whole sector to for carbon fact check and so on and so forth so again another startup who i will be checking every couple of months just to see how they're developing and now on to local news of the week we're going to talk about same day same day a local startup set by darren ford darren has been a guest on my podcast and I had the pleasure to finally meet him physically as well for the first time a few weeks ago, has now signed their first national partner. But let's backtrack a little. What does Same Day do? As obvious, they do Same Day deliveries on many shops in Sheffield. They also offer affiliate schemes for deliverers. And they also sell Same Day VIP cards that carry a lot of value with them, giving you loads of discounts to great food venues like Amigos Mexican Kitchen or OHM, to local fashion brands like Steel City, uh, Steel City Clothing, or to entertainment venues like the Great Escape Game or to rugby games of the Sheffield Eagles team. Now, while Same Day's main goal is to build a strong local community, it also wants to grow nationally and has now partnered with The Gym. Yes, The Gym. So from now on, if you get a VIP card from Same Day, you can also use it to get six months free upgrade of your membership if you're part of The Gym. And it's just great to see the progress Darren and his team are making. So let's hope this is only the first of many national partners that same day will have i will put uh, the link to the co- to the company's website in the description make sure you get the vip card it's only 10 pounds there is a page on their website where you can see all their partners all the discounts that you can get make sure that you get it if you live in sheffield now it's time to move on to my conversation with tom Oates from midas tom created midas because he thinks that the way companies currently handle their users data is unethical impractical and not user-friendly and he wants to change that and as you know Tom is part of the journey rubric where him and I talk on the podcast every three months to track the development of his startup we first spoke in the end of May and now let's see what progress he and his team has made since then it's been more than three months now so it, it was really interesting to catch up with Tom and see all the interesting things that they've done in terms of validation I just wanted to point out before we start that as this was the first time that I recorded an episode in a physical space with my guests rather than through Zoom, there has been a few old disturbances that I caught in the post-production, which I would I would prefer not to be there, like some background noise or some knocking. However, it's not a major issue, so now we can move on to my conversation with Tom. Enjoy. So I'm here today at Sheffield Technology Parks in Sheffield with Tom Oates from Midas. Hi Tom, how are you? Very good, thanks Dennis. Yes, very good, thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that this is my first time recording an episode for the podcast physically. No, going somewhere to record with my guest in the same room, it feels feels kind of unnatural in a sense, you know? <laughs> it's good, it's good. Yeah. yeah, at least I'm way calmer about the fact that sometimes when I'm recording online and I can see that there is a bit of a delay... Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I hope I don't interrupt the person when I start talking. You know, I hope that I give them the space so they can say whatever they want. It's good. No, yeah. it's good to see you. Good to see you again, Dennis. Good to see you as well. And just to let just to let my listeners know, basically, this is the second episode of the of the journey rubric, which is tracking Tom's and my uh journey towards creating the first unicorn in Sheffield. As as Tom mentioned in the first in the first episode. It's really about yeah. seeing how with every new month, there's new challenges that a startup is facing. And hopefully we can end the journey at an episode where Midas is now fully functioning app that everyone is using, or at least a big part of the population, or at least the people are interested in data. Yeah. So Tom, I want to start by, first of all, thanking you 
for coming on my no, podcast again. And I want to ask you, how did it feel being on a podcast for your venture and documenting your journey? And by the way, have you done that before Shiv Valley? No, no, not done anything like this before, to be perfectly honest. And yeah, I think yeah, it was it was interesting being on uh, the podcast last time and listening back to yourself. Some bits are a little cringy. I think being a, a modest Yorkshireman, should we say, we don't like to shout about what we're doing or, or, or what's happening, etc. So yeah, so I think a little bit of that, that cringe factor crept in. But you know, well, that we discussed when uh, you originally approached us to, I didn't think we had anything worthwhile talking about at the last stage, you know, for just a one episode podcast. So yeah, so I think coming up with the idea of doing the journey gives it a little bit more credibility for me, I think personally, in that, you know, I don't have to talk about everything. Nothing has to be completed yet you know it is part of the journey these are all the early stages that that i'm going through and and hopefully it's of interest to to the listeners yeah well and trust me everyone when they listen to themselves hear those cringy moments that no one pays attention to them like for real and at the same time we all feel this through our own prisma so it's impossible like the fact that i'm telling you this it's not going to suddenly change the way you look (laughs) at it it's always going to sound a little bit cringy that's why to be fair i rarely listen to to previous episodes obviously i also edit them so i go through them quite quite a lot of times yeah yeah so it gets a little bit tedious which i actually hate because you know you got to be able to be happy with your own work yeah yeah Uh, yeah. but it just it is what it is i'm i'm sure i told you last time that that was one of the most important episodes for me yeah you know as you said it wasn't a complete story i mean nothing is ever complete but you know talking about validation which is so important as a as a stage yeah was very valuable i'm sure for a lot of listeners and now it's good that we get to actually listen through your validation stage mm. and what happened in these three months from end of May to end of August now. Yeah, yeah. So to take us through your validation stage in the months of May to now, what did life look for Tom and for Midas? Yeah, so it's been a really, really good three months, to be honest with you. I think I said on the last one, I wasn't overly ginned up on, on market research, research itself, and you know, the, the, the ins and outs of what it is and could be. So yeah, so we started on the, the, the research journey and got some grant funding from University of Sheffield and took on uh, a couple of inter Megan and Max, oh, absolutely brilliant, you know, exceeded my expectations and I hope they won't be cringing too much if they do listen to this. But yeah, very good, both of them. So got the, got the funding from University of Sheffield, I kicked off the, the research project quite early on, or in fact before, before Megan and Max came on board actually, I realised that I didn't know enough about research and I needed some help to get maximum um, out of it. And I went back, well, I actually did a bit of Googling and managed a research discipline called netnography. And I'll come on to that shortly. But yeah, I had no knowledge of, of what uh, netnography was and the research technique, et cetera, et cetera. So I had a quick search on Google and managed to find somebody who was experienced in, in the technique, in netnography, and just so happened that she worked at the university as well. So so yeah, so I engaged with research experts who, again, was absolutely brilliant, came on board as a bit of freelance work and really supported us through through that journey so both myself Megan and Max kind of gave us the the lowdown on what netnography was and how to use it and how to get the most out of it so just a little bit about netnography if nobody if anybody knows or, or is interested so netnography is a research technique which has been it's been around a while and it was coined by a guy called Robert Cosinets in the states and netnography is essentially the digital equivalent of entography and entography is the method of research by where you immerse yourself in a particular environment. So if you wanted to understand what it was like for a uh, a tribe in South America, you go to that tribe in South America, live amongst them, be amongst yep. them, kind of absorb 
absorb what we've going on. And then and netnography is the, the digital equivalent. So you basically go online, you're, you're searching. It's and he'll hate me for this, but it's glorified Google searching <laughs> to find answers to what you're looking for and then extract meanings from who's left the answers, who, you know, what demographic are they in, how are they saying it, and what tone is it being said in, you know, what are all the between the between the words meanings of, of, of those statements. So so yeah, essentially that's that's the kind of the research technique that we used. And that's I mean Annie did a, a master's and a doctorate and all this kind of stuff using an ethnography. So we literally scratched the surface of, of what it was and how it was. But it was absolutely perfect for what we what we tried to do and the time time frame that we had to do it in. We got got that kicked off. We did a really good session with Annie, you know, really looked into how we could use the the, the research technique, got all the tools and everything and then um, yeah, Max and Megan just kind of ran with it and, and yeah, just just smashed it out of the park, really. So they, they were going away. We had various qualified search terms that we were searching for based on the you know the background of what Midas is and what we're trying to prove. And yeah, over the 10-week period that we had, the internship gathered masses of data, masses of quality, qualitative data, rather than, you know, millions and millions of records. It was you know, thousands of records, but, you know, really quality. Yep. So you, you take a search term and you'd find out how they were saying it and then you'd dig into the comments made on that particular thing. So what was everyone else feeling about it? What was the demographic of the person making the statement in the first place? You know, you, you can extract a hell of a lot of meaning out yep. of, you know, a comment on a, on a Facebook post or a Twitter post or a Reddit post or whatever it might be. And that's the essence of what, what netnography is. It's extracting the meaning out of what the, the statements are saying. And for what we were trying to do, we, we're trying to understand people's behaviour online and 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 what their yeah what their perspective is on on data and privacy and security and ad tech and all this kind of stuff. And what we well what I found prior to finding the netnography is that you you'd ask people in, and I think I mentioned this in the previous podcast, but everyone gives you a little bit of a a biased view of what is actually the truth. You know, I think I, the, the, the example I gave last time was if you asked somebody how much time they spend on Facebook per day, oh, I'll spend probably half an hour, something like that. You know, it's probably close to three, four hours. Yeah. And it's that kind of thing. So so using the netnography, you, you kind of immerse yourself in and you're not spying on what people are doing because it's out there in the public domain. But, but yeah, you're, you're, you're almost getting it raw. You're getting the information you're after raw and then you can take that sentiment and uh, analysis and extrapolate it out to find actually the, the big picture and what the themes are within that uh, within what's going on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was the start of the research project. I cracked through that. We actually ended the study first week in August, I think. So yes, got all the results and got all the, uh, the meanings and that kind of thing. And now I'm in the process of building that research study and the, the, the data and the stats that we get out of it into the the investment pitch deck, which yep. is the, the this quarter's work really. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of where we are, and that's what's uh, what's been going on the last last couple of months really. Right. And just to focus more on the validation itself. Mm. Did did users or potential users tell you what you expected to hear, or in other words, did you validate? your assumptions or have you come to new conclusions? Both. <laughs> so yeah, very much so we validated the the assumptions that, that were already out there. Um, I mean, I'd already done quite a lot of one-to-one interview research prior to getting into the, the formal research study with, with the guys. So a lot of the assumptions and things were reasonably qualified anyway, but we got a lot more weight behind what those justifications were. I think one of the biggest things that came out of it that, that was unexpected was... One around people's education. 
mm-hmm. and people's knowledge of what data is. And it kind of sounds obvious when you say it because, you know, the conversations I've had before have all been around, yeah, well, we don't really know what it is. We don't really know what it, how, how, it, how, it, how it works. So it sounds obvious, but it really came to the fore in the research is that, you know, it's just a black box. Ad tech in itself is just a complete mystery to the yeah. majority of the population. So one of the big pieces that we've taken out of that research and brought into our roadmap is, is an education piece, you know, getting people to understand what what data is and what yeah. data can be and how it can be used and, and all that kind of stuff. Because one of, the, one of the examples that, that came out of it was that people could talk about data and they could talk about data and they could talk about data. Yeah. You know, data can be personal data, first party data. It can be browsing data, history, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But it can also be how your mobile phone communicates. Have you got data on your phone? You know, have you got Wi-Fi data? Mm-hmm. To the to the non-techie majority of the population, um, it, it can be very confusing when someone's talking about data. So, yeah, so there was, there was kind of a, a quite a, an aha moment with that, as in we really need to try and educate the, the, the population in terms of what data is and, and, and how, it's, how it's used and or exploited. Yeah, that's interesting because well, now when I was back in back in my home country, Bulgaria, I, f- I found out that some of the people that I know are not really aware of the way, for example, how Google makes money off of Google search. And you yeah. know, I would expect that in 2021, and this is not me trying to, to sound like I'm a know-it-all or whatever, but I, yeah. I expected that people know it for, at least for like Google, yeah. how they generate revenue through ads. But one of them was my dad. My dad is not a digital native. He uses technology with very few purposes. Yeah. I, w- I would expect from him not to know it. But then the second person was actually a good friend of mine. He's my age. He is a digital native. Okay. No, he uses technology. He, I mean, he's not, he's not a developer or in, in no way he studies uh, European studies. Uh-huh. But he told me, hey, I started getting ads from Google on the front page. Sure. Do you think that's how they make money? And he's a very smart guy. I'm yeah, sure that yeah. he doesn't know it, not because... He's, he's stupid or whatever. But sometimes yeah. information just doesn't get to people, yeah. especially if you're not really into it. Exactly. And, and yeah. it's, I think that's very interesting because I would expect that more people nowadays know about that. Yeah. But it seems yeah. that from your foundings that yeah. it's not really the case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, one, of the, one of the big things that we, we would... One of the big things that I was trying to determine from the research project was that is it a... Was it a noisy minority yeah. that are jumping up and down about data security? The answer is, is, is with most things, yes and no. So yes, it, it, there is a vocal minority that kind of mm-hmm. understand a lot more about what's happening with your data yeah. and are quite rightly scared of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the more you know, the more you think, my God, this is like the Wild West and I don't know who's doing anything with what. So yes, yeah, so that, that, there's a kind of, that, that I'm going to say minority because, you know, in t- global terms, yeah. it is a minority. The majority mm-hmm. either don't know what yeah. it is or just aren't bothered. Yeah. And and it's quite scary to think that someone is not bothered about it. Yeah. But again, from the research we've got is that people expect business, mm. big business, rightly or wrongly, to respect and, and, and look after their data. And you yeah. know, and that's a that's a massive, massive assumption that, yeah. that people are making. But you know, the majority of the, the, the population, again, from what we've found, just want to use what they use. They just want to get on with their lives. They just want to, you know, crack on, do whatever. Yeah. And they assume that somebody's looking after it for them. Uh, and, and I think we know that <laughs> that's not always the case. So, so yeah, it was a really interesting study. And, and like I say, they're, 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 there's a hell of a lot to do around privacy and security and, and, and ownership of data. But there's also a massive chunk of people, or an opportunity, if you like, to support these people that, that 
expected to already have been done. So yeah, so it was, it was really interesting to kind of find the, the level of detail around that to, to, to justify the, the assumptions. Yeah, and there's always a large group of people who I'm, I've heard it so many times, the argument, well, yeah, I know that they're, they're tracking my data, but come on, are they really going to delve into my data? Like, I'm not that interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not really yeah. the case <laughs> when it comes to data protection and security. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And it's... Um, I mean, it's like the, the the Google policy. They were they were getting rid of third party cookies and going to a more cohort of data model. Mm-hmm. So it's non personalized. They're looking at trends and themes. And if you're this type of person that kind of ticks this box, you're probably going to be interested in this kind of stuff. You know, so it's all kind of anonymized. Uh, and that's been pushed back now. They're, 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 they announced that they were getting rid of cookies, and they've they've, they've not reverse the decision, but they've mm-hmm. pushed the, the actual implementation of that back. I was actually going to ask you about the, the, the cookies because I read just briefly about it and I saw some pushback on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. And I just figured that, you know, yeah, Google, Facebook, they get these large amounts of data that we provide for them for free. But they're not the only ones that are using it. There's whole ecosystems around them and players that are utilizing the fact that data is free and yeah. data can be used and uh, exploited in such ways. So I was thinking, do you think that services like what Midas is trying to do mm-hmm. and what I'm sure there's other other startups trying to innovate in that space as well, mm-hmm. do you think there's going to be players and in whole industries who are going to oppose more data security and privacy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think there'll be a time coming in the not too distant future where we're shocked that our data, that, that, that there are multiple copies of our data scattered yeah. around the, the, the web. You know, you, you've got all the individual big players that have all got a copy of your data and you've got all the intermediary players that are pawning your data around for, for profit and it's just copies of the same thing. You know, it's copies of copies of copies of copies of copies, perhaps with little bits of different metadata, different bits of properties and, and behaviours are along it, but essentially it's your data just copied millions and millions of times and, and stored in millions and millions of different locations, yeah. which again is another security risk. But what, what you've got there is a massive security risk and a massive massive data set that's just out of date, you know, yeah. completely out of date. And, and you know, thinking about what Midas could be, it, you know, it's my data as a service. So the idea and one of the, the concepts for way down the line is that companies subscribe to Midas and mm-hmm. consume data that is up to date really rich in its content and they subscribe to it if you you give your consent to to have that conversation with them but but yeah it's like the wild west in terms of the the ad tech space and what happens with it um so yeah so it's, it's, it's ripe for disruption should we mm. say and you said that you enjoyed these three months of yeah. that, this stage of yeah. the development of midas i hope that it's going to be the least enjoyable part <laughs> of your journey with midas but basically my question is what's next for you and yeah. it's uh and your startup and how do you structure your plan by the way do you structure it uh on a weekly basis on a monthly basis or on yearly chunks of time and has these months changed the way you look at the whole journey yeah so this this, this whole planning section brought out the project manager in me so the way i structure what we're doing is kind of have a, a quarterly vision so for each quarter i have a kind of topic so quarter one was ideation and and, and problem generation so you know getting all those together with all the assumptions. Quarter two was focused on the research and validating all those assumptions. Quarter three, which is what we're in now, is building the building the investment deck and prototype and basically getting investment ready. So kind of got all the information, gathering it all together into a hopefully a coherent um, story that can uh, can go out and, and, and sell. Um, and then quarter four is the active investment seeking uh, phase. Now those are 
loose topics for the quarters, you know, within the topics, tasks and activities that are kind of go outside of those topics. But yeah, that, they're the kind of focus for each of the quarters. And like I say, within those visions for the quarters, you break it down into different activities and tasks and that kind of thing. I know we just discussed as we walked into the office, the, yeah. the Kanban board on the on the wall, kind of throwback from my software developing uh, product managing days. But yeah, looking at the activities, prioritising them based on the current state of play and then cracking through through the, the tasks as, as, yeah. as fast as possible really as efficiently as possible so yeah so that's kind of how I structure the plan itself as with everything you know plans need to change plans are out of date as soon as you've written them all that kind of stuff so yeah there's a lot of there's there's a lot of changing you know new stuff comes in yeah. you need to to deal with that pushes old stuff out and then obviously managing resources and all that kind of thing kind of comes into play and you can gain time and lose time and uh, yeah, so so it's it, it's really a, a loose vision, loose plan, targeted activities and tasks and prioritization. Yeah. I think to just go on to your second part of the question around has it changed my changed the approach? Not at the high level. Mm-hmm. So the quarters are still kind of where they are, and those visions are still where they are. The the, the volatility in in each uh, section has been what I'd expect. But yeah, you kind of have to go in different directions, and obviously there's there's other aspects of my life that I need to try and fit in as well so paid work sometimes has to get in there so yeah so you kind of just have to roll with the punches but but generally the the action plan if you like has been yeah. has been relatively static or, or solid yeah it seems to be working so far right and in terms of the prototype and the investment deck I I assume that the interns Max and sorry what was the name of the other intern uh, Max and Megan Max and Megan so yeah. I guess their their internship is over yeah yep and Nani is back and he's yeah back doing what she's doing. Back to you. Yeah, so that's kind of it's back down to me again. <laughs> yeah, so you're working by yourself on the product and investment. Yeah, are you getting any support, or are you going to look for any support in terms of development of the prototype or the investment deck? Yeah, so investment deck, I'm getting loads of support from uh, the Cooper Project within Chef Tech Parks where I am. So there's quite a few of my fellow founders at similar states or going yeah. through similar similar places. So we, we've got a good little um, uh, working relationship to, to help each other with those. I'm on various accelerators, online accelerators, that kind of thing, readiness programs. One of the big ones I'm on was the Capital Enterprise mm-hmm. Funding Readiness Program. So that, that they, they have two co- cohorts with that, one in spring and one in autumn. I joined the spring one and I was a little early for it, but it was a really good experience to go through and understand what that was. And then I'm joining the autumn cohort, which starts in October, which goes through the same thing at the end of that, end of the program. There's actually a, a demo day. So you get to the end of the program and then you can pitch your yeah. uh, concept and idea and, and things to, to investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that side so in, in terms of your question we've been I'm working on a pitch deck on my own I've got the mentors from Chef Business and all that kind of thing but yes essentially it's my activity to complete the, the, some of the other activities that are kind of going on at a lower level we've got yeah engaged again with the university on, on another research project if you like a different funding scheme called the Sheffield Innovation mm-hmm. Partnership SIP and that was that's a it's a European funded program where you can engage with academics at the university for I think something like eight to ten days of effort to look at a particular project. You know, you can get some you know some real deep thinking yeah. on a particular problem that you might have got. So um what what we're doing with with SIP is kind of reached out to them and pitched the the, the, the Midas concept and what we're doing. And one of the features and in inverted commas of Midas is mm-hmm. the fact that we're going to hopefully have all this data, you know, this rich data that we yeah. can do some really deep deep learning and data science on. 
Mm-hmm. So the engagement with the university through a Sheffield Innovation Partnership is to essentially do a bit of a feasibility study into what could we do with this data. Mm-hmm. Assuming we get this data and everything else pans out and you know it's all punky dory we've got this massive data what can we do with it because yeah. one of the bigger you know one of the one of the other arms of what hopefully Midas is is, is to use the data that we've got with our members consent mm-hmm. obviously for wider social benefits right so one of the the ideas we've got is can we use the data and pick up patterns in data that might highlight certain behaviors that people need alerting to so one of the obvious ones at the minute and and very topical at the minute is is mental health so can we can a can a user of Midas be alerted to the fact that they may be susceptible to some mental uh, Mm -hmm. health and 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 then offer them a range of support services on the back of that you know it's your data can we use it for you for your benefit you know this isn't shared with anyone else but you know that's kind of one of the the concepts that we've got yeah so part of the Midas makeup is using the data for personal and social benefit you know, right for, for benefits of you and the project with Sheffield Innovation Partnership is to look at the feasibility of that and what right. we would need for that to happen and then out of the sort of eight to ten days I think it is feasibility study that we get if we think it's a goer and the rest of Midas is going the direction we want to go as mm-hmm. well we'd like to use that feasibility study to feed into Innovate UK and yeah. Smart Grant so in terms of Funding models. The the idea we've got is that we equity fund the, the kind of build and the, the technical element, yeah. and then we we grant fund for the R and D, and the R and D would be on the data and that kind of side of things. So I've got some kind of investment channels that I'm hoping to progress. So yeah, so that's that's one of the other things that's kind of been going on in the background to hopefully get us where we need to be. Um, yeah, and then one of the other ones is only yesterday I reached out to Chef Hallam University for they have something called the Applied Project Scheme, which is if you have a uh, a particular project and I think they they market it as if you've got a project that's you know always on the back burner you've never got the resources to do it come and tell us what it is yeah. we potentially get some some resources some some students involved that can use your project as their coursework yeah uh, so you basically get potentially get get people to come and help you get stuff done and the particular piece of that. A piece of the jigsaw that um, I'm looking at with them is the initial branding, marketing, and awareness, brand awareness of, of Midas, which will hopefully yeah. kick in quarter four when we start the um, start the well start as soon as possible, to be honest with you. But, but yeah, try and get that done as well. And Chef Tech Parks has done a brilliant job in signposting me to all these things, and it's just a case of trying to juggle uh, yeah. all the different contacts and get that uh, get get the multiple threads rolling in the same direction which is the the juggle at the minute <laughs> i hope you're writing all that stuff down because that's so much so much stuff i feel overwhelmed i need to see this thing on paper, on paper. <laughs> i'll give you a schematic when we're finished to support yeah. the podcast <laughs> you should also i think you're speaking with morgan killick from sheffield from business sheffield yeah might be good because yeah. uh I don't know if you saw he was a guest on my podcast as well. Yes, I've, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've spoken to Morgan a couple of times. Oh, right. I'm actually paired up with his compatriot from Chef Business, oh. Glenn Heath. Okay. So Glenn is, is yeah, a colleague, if you like, of, yeah. of, of Morgan. But yeah, I've had a couple of chats with Morgan. It's been, it's been very insightful. That's good. But uh, yeah, thank you. So data ownership in the digital space, this is the, the problem or the, or the concept that you're, taking, that you're taking upon with Midas. Do you think we're past the catalyst that will turn people's attention to this concept more or is it still in the future and 
what would that catalyst be, in your opinion? Well, I'm going to turn this one on you, Dennis, because as part of my research, I'd like mm-hmm. to understand what you think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's, what's your position? I'll tell you mine afterwards, yeah. but I don't want to influence your, yeah, yeah, of course. your position. So I can say my opinion, but at the same time, I've read the Lean Product Development book by Cindy Alvarez, where she said that when you're, when, when you're collecting responses from potential customers... If you ask them what they would do, they would always tell you something that they would not do. Yeah. So I'd rather talk on <laughs> past experiences now. Yeah. So my, my interactions with data. I don't have a Facebook anymore. I deleted my Facebook profile and I deleted my Instagram profile, my personal ones, because it was once because of data and because of the things I learned about data protection. But I got interested in, in, in these things quite a while ago now, about three years ago. And I was going to make a documentary about about internet addiction actually i was okay. i was kind of looking at it from that yeah, from that yeah. angle i because in my first year in england i started to spend a lot more time on my on my phone and on digital devices yeah. probably because it was probably the the toughest year i've had in england you know not many friends first year blah blah yeah. blah or maybe because i was in england and because i was hearing more about this stuff i was getting more aware of the time i was spending on digital devices maybe when i was a a teenager in Bulgaria, I was spending the same time. I was just not aware. Yeah. Uh, and then through my research for the book and for inter for the film and for internet addiction, I actually realized how much data these companies these yeah, companies yeah. have. And then obviously the social dilemma last year when it came out. Yeah. It wasn't the film that changed my opinion because. I mean, I don't want to brag too much about it, but my film was going to be 20 minutes. It obviously wasn't going to be a Netflix production, but it had quite a lot of the important information in it. Yeah. So I knew most of it, but then that film was the catalyst for me. You know, when I saw yeah, it, yeah. I was like, come on, man, you know all these things. Yeah. You got to take ownership of your decisions. So that's why I deleted Facebook and Instagram particularly. At the same time, though, I use YouTube. Yeah. I have my, I have Go set as my, as my search engine. Okay. On, on, yeah, yeah. On, on my browser but at the same time I go to Google a lot of times because Google is so much better than the, yeah. the Go I do so I use YouTube I use Google I use Reddit yeah I use Twitter for for the podcast not personally so yes I've made some steps towards some data security and protection particularly from Facebook yeah and I still by the way Mozilla Firefox I still get notifications that Facebook is gonna track my data if I register on this website with my email. Which is insane. But yeah, so I've take, taken some steps at the same time. I have to agree that sometimes, especially when there is like tougher decisions staying in front of my life, yeah. I'm kind of like, no, man, you can't be bothered about this as well. Yeah, yeah. So at some points, you just kind of weigh things out and you see that the advantages that you might get are bigger than the, the disadvantages, at least at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So overall, I'd say I have a pretty complicated relationship <laughs> with how I feel towards data. Yeah. I, I feel that if there was a service which could help me get ownership of my data, I would probably I would probably use it. But at the same time, as we spoke last time again, as well, it needs to be very simple. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, it's interesting you say that, and it, you know, it, it kind of concurs with uh, concurs with the, the, the research we've done. It's the, almost the, the more you know about it, the more fearful you are, the more you want to get out of it, which is a shame, you know, because rich online experiences can be very good yeah. and should be very good. And, and you know, that that's hopefully what we can help deliver but yeah i mean just going back to the to the question and what my perspective on yeah. it is is yeah so do what was the question do you think we're past the point of a catalyst do you yeah. think that for example you know cambridge analytica obviously yeah. was a pretty big catalyst in that sense i would say the social dilemma probably because yeah. it attracted like a, a major viewership so do you think 
those two are the catalysts or something else? Or do you think the catalyst is still up bound to come? I think the major catalyst is still to come. I think the major catalyst is probably burning away now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think it's been... Yeah, I think I think we're right at the very start of the evolution of, of, of data and what it is, what it can be, what it should be, how it should be used and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, th- I think we've had a few warning shots mm-hmm. over the bows. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think they worse and better is yet to come. Right, yeah. And... Basically, my opinion is about gaining the getting the attention of the of the of the mass user. Yeah. So, do you think? Obviously, there's no way you know, but do you do you believe that something should happen, something negative should happen, so people get get scared enough to care about their data, or do you think that this this could be taught? It's an element that could be taught within uh, people's I, minds. Yeah, I think it, I think it could and should be taught. I don't think we should wait for the. Mm-hmm. you know catastrophe before before we do anything about this and you know it comes back to conversations we've had before about Midas and people's behavior and mm-hmm. how do you get someone to use something when they're not asked or not bothered and and you can't generally you can't unless you create something that is really easy to use and the user wants to use it yeah you know they're not going to adopt it they're just they're, they, you are waiting for the catastrophe yeah. to force their hand so to actually get people to change their behavior or make the slight tweaks to their behavior mm-hmm. perhaps is the better way of putting it to prevent that catastrophe is is you know what we're well what we're hopefully striving for with the Midas uh, project right and just to play a bit of devil's advocate here yeah another alternative and, and another solution to data security and protection is collecting no data mm-hmm. so what would you say if a, if a person comes to you when you're pitching or if an investor comes to you with this question and they say we think the future is not collecting any data rather than collecting data and having to opt in for it to be used and getting paid for it yeah. and blah 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 yeah. what would you say to that person why why not collecting any data is not a good solution for this problem yeah i think i think it's a really good question because that you know it's obviously a really start, good starting point you know if the problem is data security yeah. don't, don't share it i think the big problem comes and you know whether it's a problem or a, or an opportunity is that you know the internet's free to use at point of use and it's free to use at point of use because of advertising so to say we're not going to give any data would mean we are going to have to monetize all the free stuff on the internet. So every Google search, do you want to pay Fiverr for your Google search a month? Do you want to pay whatever Google Maps, whatever Facebook you're on, whatever Instagram you're on? You know, it's a subscription model to use these services. Services. So to say we're just going to get away, get get rid of data and not collect it, it's 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 a nice idea. It's never going to happen. Yeah. It's never going to happen. We need to embrace the fact that data is yep. you know the lifeblood of the internet and we need to pre- creating uh, solutions to maintain its its integrity and, and a person's yeah putting the person in control of what that is yeah but yeah it's not a reasonable solution to say we're just not going to use data you know it, it's it's never going to happen right yeah and in the end of the day data brings so much so much positive and yeah you know, so 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 much advantage to towards learning yeah and towards just improvement overall for any one of us. Like yeah. you know, a very simple example, I'm thinking that uh, when we were, I was in Bulgaria and we were going to to Plovdiv, one of the, one city in Bulgaria for a, for a holiday with my family, and then we saw on Google Maps that there was a crash yeah. next to Plovdiv, and then we knew that we might need to change our we might need to change our route okay. if we don't want to get uh, in the traffic. And if Google is not collecting any data, we're not going to get to that information. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree with you. It comes down to basically how data is used and exactly. what are the what are the services that can help us use yeah. 
the, not us, but help companies maybe yeah, use data exactly, in a better way. Exactly. You know, one of the one of the positions of, of Midas is that it's it, it's a win-win <laughs> for users and, and brands because ethical brands want to treat their customers right. Yeah. You know, they, they want a service that will let them do that. And users, you, me, and everyone else yeah. who wants to engage with that brand wants to know that that brand is using our data responsibly, etc. So, so yeah, my position, um, it's, it's only one of many, I'm sure, is that, you know, we, we need to work with both users and brands to deliver a, a better online experience. And that's the, the, the again, a, a target position of, of Midas. Yeah. So... We- Let's say that there's a person listening right now to the podcast who's now starting their validation stage. Mm. Can you think of three directions or three simple advices that you would give to them in their validation stage, which if they follow, they're not going to repeat mistakes maybe that uh, you and your team made? Yeah. Um, I think the, 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 the big thing to go and check out if you're doing your validation is is, is go and have a look at Robert Kozinets' netnography methodology. And again, don't shout at me Annie it, it is glorified Google searching <laughs> and what you type into search obviously affects what you what, what comes out on the the other end as well um, and also your previous search history will impact that as well which is all part of the problem but yeah go and have a look at the the netnography approach you know it's a really quick really easy way of gaining global sentiment on what your what your problem statements are and and there's loads of stuff on youtube and robert cosnets is quite quite vocal in his on his youtube channel etc so yeah go go and have a look at that um i think as well and i don't know whether i thought this before we started the research project or not it's probably not a thought i had but um you know the the research is never over <laughs> it's never over i think we've got to we've, we've come to a point where we've got enough to get us to the next step yep but I think we'll be continually uh, researching, not just from a, um, a data science and, and, and the piece of work we're hopefully going to do with the innovation partnership, but also, you know, product development, what people want, how people mm. behave, what's the feedback on this, how are we, are we doing it? You know, a research function within the business, I think, will be a, a mainstay if it's, you know, if we manage to get it off the ground. Yeah. Well, that's two. Do you have a, do you have a third one? Or? <laughs> yeah, I think I think just, just crack on and, and validate. Ask as many people as you can. Talk to people, ask them to pull it apart, ask why not, why should we not do this? Right. You know, just try and get that, get, get as much feedback on, mm-hmm. on your concept and idea um, as possible. Did you create a survey for your, validate, for your validation? Um, no, not for the not for the, the research project we did. And we've not sent out, a, in fact, we've not sent out a survey. I did an initial one right at the start of proceedings, kind of abandoned it. Yeah. Um, it was... Well, I, I felt, and, and it was backed up as well, that it was just leading the audience. Yeah. Questions were leading the audience too much, and we were getting very flat answers to very big questions. So it, the, the approach, obviously, was, was one-to-one interviews with, with people, with a small small sample of people, mainly my network, and then the, the netnography, which is the you know immersion of yourself in yeah. what a particular statement is. And, you know, when, you, when you're doing the netnography thing, you, you might be searching for something... Really big, wide, wide ranging. Like, why is the internet free? You know that. Was, I think that was one of the searches that we did. You find a, a particular statement. It might be on Reddit or around advertising, and then you dig into what that statement is, and then you literally go down rabbit holes until you find almost the nugget of what yeah. you want, and then you extrapolate that nugget out. So, although it is glorified Google searching, yeah. um, it, it you know there's a there's a hell of a lot of science and 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 yeah theory behind it. Um, yeah, that, that, that makes it really valuable. I think you just 
gave hope to a lot of people who <laughs> go on um, rabbit holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Times. He gave them it's... hope that they might make a career out of that. Absolutely, absolutely. I must admit, I was saying to, to Max, he was saying what he was going to do next. I said, what you need to do is get the Cooper Project and the incubator and offer these services to people because, you know, every... every um, uh, person that comes through the, the 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 Cooper project is here to validate a problem or yeah. an idea. So if you've got a startup to help people validate a problem or idea, you have um, an infinite market. You've got an infinite market. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I got quite excited, but but yeah, we're still we're still chatting with Max and seeing yeah. what we're doing. I'm sure there's probably also a lot of different services around the world doing that because yeah. like the the rate of startups failing is still quite high. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. 90, I mean, obviously there's a lot of different statistics you're gonna find, but around ninety five percent, I think, is the most like right. common, commonly circulating number. Yeah. That's a massive number. Imagine yeah. imagine reducing that by 10%. How yeah. many more companies which people are not going to start and are not going to fail? And yeah. I mean, obviously, you have to start if you don't want to succeed and a lot of yeah. those times you're just going to fail. But at the same time, if you had a way quicker route to know whether you're going to... Yeah, absolutely. You, absolutely. you, you need to continue. That's going to save a lot of people a lot yeah. of time and money. Yeah, or steer you. You know, it might not be a absolutely. stop doing it. It might be a don't do that, do this, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's finding that golden path. Yeah. That's the right thing. And I asked about the survey because like a 101 for, for founders doing research and validation is making surveys and that's including me and like yeah. you, you, you make a survey, you put questions which you think sound, sound fine. Yeah. You send it to a couple of mates. Yeah. And then they answer exactly what you told, what you want the answers to be because it's yes or no. Yeah. And yeah. anything, oh, I, I validated it. Well, not really. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot more into that. Be creative with your validation stage. Yeah. Do and net, netography, was it? Netnography. 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 Yeah. Check netnography. Yeah, definitely. Or maybe reach out to, to Max. Yeah, Megan, yeah, yeah, Sheffield, yeah, absolutely. Who for a for a good price? Yeah, will do their res- <laughs> that's it. Your research for you, <laughs> uh, Tom. My last question for you is: How can the listeners of She Valley support Midas or yourself at the moment? Is there anything they can do at this moment in time? Um, there's nothing online. There's nothing out there yet. That is part of this 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 quarter's tasks. So yeah, so watch this space. There will be stuff coming online in the in the very near future, hopefully. You know, if you've got a genuine interest in, in what we're doing and, you know, want to know more, feel free to, you know, connect on LinkedIn. I'm on there. I'm on Twitter as well, but I don't really use it. Yeah, if you, you want to have a chat, come on to LinkedIn. And yeah, and if you, yeah, really want to know more, come to one of the Sheaf Valley meetups, startup meetup, who are a regular attendee. But yeah, it'd be really interested. And I think, you know, if this goes um, the way I'd like it to go, I'm going to really need good people who care yeah. so if you if you if you're a good person and cares give us a shout <laughs> awesome well if you're a good person who cares about data and yeah. so the way companies handle data and users kind of interact with their data contact tom i'm going to leave your pro- i'm going to leave your linkedin profile in the episodes notes. yes yeah, it's good yeah thank you well thank you very much for your time tom it was no, great thank you great it's recording good. the first podcast in a, in yeah, a physical space know, not confined by the walls <laughs> of zoom that was great is there anything else you want to you want to say before we end it? No, I think I say no and then I start saying something else. No, it's been really good, Dennis. It has. It's really good to see you again. And uh, yeah, good to good to catch up. It's really, to be honest, doing the podcast really helps you focus on, you know, what you have done. Yeah. Because I know I've got the Trello board, which has got a lot of done stuff in, you know, having to look back over it. I've probably achieved more than I thought I had. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a really good good experience to be honest well you can you you can take it as your every three month journal yes i will i will it's good no i'm uh, i'm enjoying it thank you we'll catch up again on the podcast in three months to see how tom and midas have developed i hope you found my conversation with tom 
interesting, insightful and inspiring. But now it's time to move on to the next part of this podcast and I'm actually really excited to announce the first book of the week and it's a book that I've already posted about on my Twitter page but I love it so much that I want to double down on it, I want to make sure that you know about it and you're, you're, you're going to read it because it's very important whether you're a startup founder, whether you're in product development, even if you're just a developer, it can be a book that radically changes your organization or at least the department or team you're part of. It's called Lean Customer Development by Cindy Alvarez. Now, Cindy Alvarez is somewhat of a champion when it comes to lean customer development. She currently works in product research for GitHub and she built her career in Microsoft and Yammer before it was acquired by Microsoft. Cindy Alvarez wrote this book after having to walk the tough path of figuring out what is the product that the customers of her company actually want. And whether you have a product already or just are just starting to build it, you should always be talking to your customer. This is the main, the focal point of this book. It basically explains the difference between product development, which is kind of an assuming that you know what your customers know. And yes, sometimes you you might actually be right. You might actually know what your customers want, might develop it, ship it, then people would buy it, and you haven't wasted no money or resources. However, most of the times when you're engaging in building a product, especially a software product or Actually, if it's hardware, it's even more expensive. You're putting money and and resources and time, most importantly, into something that you haven't validated. And then when it fails, you you can't get those back. So it's a really bad investment of time and money. This is where customer development comes in. It's a great way to understand what your customers want before investing this time and, and money. A very interesting idea in the book is about asking your customers what are they currently doing rather than what they would do. Like one of my favorite questions from a founder or a future founder is, would you change your habit and use our product? And most people most of the time are like, yeah, sure, of course. However, that's, that's not, an honest, it's not an honest answer. As we spoke with Tom in the podcast, if you want to get a, an honest feedback from a person in terms of your product, you need to ask about questions in the past, as Tom said, rather than asking them how, how much time do you spend on Facebook, ask them to show, to show you their screen time. This is a way, way more valid information for your product. So this is the book in a nutshell. It's basically a practical guide. It takes you step by step what you need to do if you want to become the customer development person within your organization. And it's not expensive at all, but could prove absolutely invaluable to you and your team. So Lean Customer Development by Cindy Alvarez is the first book of the week of Sheep Valley. And that was all for this week. Next episode is coming next Tuesday afternoon. So subscribe anywhere you're listening or follow Sheep Valley's account on Twitter to get a notification when it's published. Don't forget to get your free tickets for the Startup Meetup Sheffield on September 21st. That's Tuesday 6 p.m. Stay tuned, thank you for your time and have a great day.